0: A young mother had a son. A kind-hearted boy who always tried to do what's right. As he grew older, he worried about others more than himself. Whenever he saw anyone suffering, he tried to heal and comfort them. But more people became sick. Disease ravished the land. People were quarantined, isolated. Many didn't survive. Became too much, and he had to isolate himself. He cried as he thought about all the unbearable things the people were going through. The mental anguish racked him with sorrow, but it was his cross to bear. Good morning, Crossroads. I am John Gross. I'm a pastoral resident, and I'm, I'm kind of the, the discount version of Pastor Matt. I'm like the big lots to his target, if you will. Although, you know, some folks did come up to me after last service and say, John, you're target too. It's okay. Anyway, uh, today we are continuing the He Gets Us series, where we look at a lot of things that we as individuals and as a society experience and things that Jesus can help us navigate because he has had to deal with them too. Last week, I talked about anxiety and I talked about how Jesus invites us to let God take over managing the big tapestry of the whole world and entrust to us just one little thread to carry a day at a time. I may or may not have but definitely did inflict anxiety on uh, everybody trying to talk about anxiety. I promise that was, that was like for effect. That's not on the agenda today. Today, we are talking about something that's not a high heart rate kind of topic. Today, we're talking about heartbreak. Heartbreak is a word that can get thrown around a lot and have a lot of different meanings. It's a little bit like love in that sense. I can say, I love the food at In-N-Out, I love my wife. Same words, similar, I guess related meanings, but those are two very different things. I don't have a covenant relationship with In-N-Out where I am committed for the rest of my life to seek its greatest good. Although having grown up in Southern California, I am contractually obligated to be convinced it has the best burgers in the world. That's just like part and parcel of being in California. Heartbreak can mean a lot of different things too. It can refer to the way that we feel when we look at those Sarah McLaughlin commercials with the little dogs, And the eyes of, right, like those commercials. Uh, Heartbreak can refer to the way that Broncos fans feel about last season's performance. Those are very unrelated things. Actually, now that I think about it, maybe it could be motivational to the Broncos team, the coaches, the staff, to have a bunch of Broncos fans' faces look in the camera with, in the eyes Just, you know, just as motivation uh, to, to go back to the usual record of success, I don't know. But we can use heartbreak to talk about so many different things, ranging from a breakup, maybe a fallout with a friend, or something that we hear about in the news, like another act of random violence or war in Ukraine or something like that. Today, I want us to think about the heartbreak that we carry with us as we walk into the room the kinds of heartbreak that have asked us to revise our understanding of the world, and that have asked us to revise what we understand about the world unwillingly. Things that have hurt us because we just thought the world worked differently, and then we experienced something outside of our expectations. When I think about this kind of heartbreak, that I've experienced in my life, I think about Mother's Day of 2021. My wife, Catherine, and I, we lived in Georgia. My parents lived in Alabama, so we did the hop, skip, and jump, you know, four-hour drive across the country to go see my mom, and we went to this, of so one of those old-timey mansions that's sort of been preserved as a museum and has these really nice, beautiful gardens, but the grounds aren't too big, so it wouldn't have been too burdensome for my mom to walk through with her increasingly problematic health conditions. And Catherine and I had a really fun surprise for my parents and then also for my sister and nephew who came to visit mom. Eliza at the time, she was one and a half and we had her wear this really cute shirt that said big sister. We had one kid and I think you can imagine what we were implying. Now, here's a detail about that story that might kind of help you fill in the rest of the gaps. Catherine and I were the kinds of parents who decided not to wait until the 12-week mark to let people know we had a baby on the way. A lot of parents, when they're expecting, will withhold that information until the 11- or 12-week mark because that's the point after which miscarriages are statistically very, very rare. But our thinking was that if we were to lose a baby, we would want our people to know. We would want our people to experience the joy and the anticipation and the surprise coming along. And we would want those same people to be there for us when that surprise was taken away. Well, it turns out that's exactly what we ended up doing in around May, June, 2021 just a few weeks after that Mother's Day, things just weren't looking right in the pregnancy. My wife went and visited the doctor, and when she came back, she didn't need to say a word. I saw it on her face. And I broke down too. And just probably one, maybe two minutes later, I was already on the phone with my mom, who had just recently shared with us the joy of anticipating another grandbaby to tell her we lost the baby, that our suspicions were right. I think back to that moment, and I think that was actually the last time that my mom parented me. It was the last time, I think, that I turned to my mom in a moment of need, and she responded with the comfort of care that she had faithfully given my entire life. In February 2022, my mom's increasingly complicated health issues intersected with a COVID case. And what might have been a couple years of slow decay became five weeks of rapid decay, and she passed away. And in that time in between, my wife and I, we suffered another miscarriage. And late 2022, we did welcome another baby, baby Vivian. She's four months old. Every time I look at her, she smiles right back at me because she's just for the first time learning how to mirror emotions. But the heartbreak is that the expectations we came in with in that Mother's Day of 2021, they weren't going to be met. We came in with this belief, with this expectation that my mom would get to snuggle another grandbaby And timing and mortality did their thing. And my mom and my second kid never got a chance to meet. There are a lot of griefs that can do this thing to us where our expectations are pulled out from under us. I know people who are survivors of abusive relationships. And see, the thing about miscarriage is there's a vagueness to it, a sense of secrecy to it. There's a facelessness because you don't actually get to meet the baby that you lose. But when I found out that someone I was close enough to, you know, close enough where I should have noticed that something was wrong with this relationship, when I found out that there was abuse going on, oh, there was a face. And it's a face. I hope never to see again. There are griefs that flood us, that turn us upside down and inside out. One of the ones I think of is, well, it's another family member who's not gonna have a chance to, to meet my kids because my wife lost a sister, and this, this was before my wife and I met, it was many years ago, but just from seeing the effect that it has on my wife and on my in-laws, I could tell that that grief, that was like a tsunami, and there are little waves that come up after it that just crash again and again and again, and it's weird, it hits at weird points like holidays and anniversaries and birthdays. and. You know, I know as you walk into this room, you might be carrying a heartbreak that looks like that. You might also be carrying a heartbreak that's really just a a slow-burning, lingering sense of disappointment. You know, it doesn't have to be a death. It doesn't have to be a tragedy that sends you on something kind of sort of looking like the five stages of grief to count as an instance of heartbreak. We all experience things where our expectations about the way the world works and what our life is supposed to look like get torn out from under us. I'll, I'll give you a window into one of them. April 14th, 2016, 10.58pm, I was in a gas station bathroom and got an email. I know, you're like, gas station bathroom, John, what are you doing? I got an email, okay, I was on a road trip, I was in the gas station bathroom, got an email telling me, this is the really cool part, that I was getting into a PhD program in New Testament studies, and then, look, look, I was waitlisted. I had until April 15th to know, okay, am I getting into this really cool program or not, Uh, and this was a really big deal, because this was the only program that I had a shot of getting into that was going to actually have the financial support to really be sustainable, and I got in like literally the 11th hour. And so at that point, my life was set. I was gonna be Dr. So-and-so, I was gonna be a professor forever, and I would die at my desk because I was so thrilled with my job, I didn't wanna retire. That was the plan. It's seven years later, I am not in academia right now, and I'm actually kinda sorta fine with that. What happened in those intervening seven years? When I went from dead set on, I will do nothing else with my life to, I'm not doing this and it's perfectly fine. What happened in there? That's a whole other story. But I think a lot of us have these moments where we expect something like a career or an achievement. It has this excitement to us because we think this is gonna be the thing that gives my life meaning. And then it doesn't come through and deliver. These are the kinds of heartbreaks that Jesus has experienced and helps us walk through. So go ahead, if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be looking at Matthew 9, just a a few verses, 9, uh, 35 through 38. Here's the thing about me having been an academic in New Testament studies. I can go on and on and on and on and on about just a few short verses. Like, that's what the whole thing is about, okay? Uh, So we're going to be taking a look at the end of Matthew 9. And this passage, it's kind of a cool bridge or like a window. Matthew 8 and 9 is a sequence of stories where Jesus is running around, casting out demons and healing people, having a little bit of a debate with some religious authorities, then going back and calling a disciple, then healing people and casting out more demons, just running around doing his thing. And the end of Matthew 9 is a conclusion to that. It's also an introduction to Matthew 10, where Jesus is explaining to his disciples how to go out in ministry for the first time. And so what we get with these short verses is this nice little window into the entire of what Jesus was up to because it's a conclusion of the action of Jesus's ministry and it's an introduction to the telling and the teaching of Jesus's ministry. So what we have in this moment is this little small snapshot into what Jesus was up to with his ministry and what it shows us is actually the whole, the whole of it, all of it was about addressing the heartbreak that people experience. So let's take a look at Matthew 9, verses 35 and 36. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus' motivation here was compassion. And look, this is a place where I'm just going to go ahead and lean into my nerdiness. I'm going to share with you a little bit about the Greek, and I promise you're going to be happy that I did, okay? The word for compassion is a really fun word because it's an onomatopoeia, which is that thing where a word sounds like a sound effect, like crack or thump or buzz, something like that. And this is a really weird one. It's really fun. You ready? Okay, this word for compassion i Let me say that again, splachnizo. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it's really like, it comes from the noun splachnon. And you're thinking, is it an onomatopoeia, kind of like a splat? Yes, it is. Splachnon is the word for entrails, for guts, for the stuff that spills out of people when they get slaughtered in battle, I've said enough. But here's the thing that's really helpful about seeing this word choice, and this is not the only word choice of this kind in, in the New Testament. Uh, in John 11, when Jesus is grieving the death of Lazarus, the, there's this verb used, which is an automatopoeia for a horse going like, <laughs> like that when it says Jesus was greatly distressed. It's like there's this, Very bodily sound effects going along with it. And I think it's very easy to think that what happens when Jesus is going from place to place, casting out demons and debating religious authorities and healing people and doing all these things, it's a little bit like Oprah, but with miracles instead of cars. He's just skating along, being like, You get a miracle, and you get a miracle, and you get a miracle. Ding, ding, ding. But I think that misses something crucial about the emotion of the moment, which is that Jesus is deeply, viscerally, fleshly moved down to his bones when he sees the kind of heartbreak that people experience. And what these verses imply for us is there was a lot of heartbreak going on. That line, sheep without a shepherd, it occurs numerous times in the Old Testament to talk about Israel being lost, having either no leadership or having leadership that are taking advantage of the people. And based on the things that the gospel of Matthew has to say about the Pharisees, I think Jesus is, or the the author of the gospel of Matthew is implying, hey, this, this pattern is repeating itself. These people don't have a leadership that's doing the correct job of taking the ways in which life has pulled the rug out from under them. They're not doing a good job of putting the pieces back together, and in some ways are adding heartbreak instead of taking it away. And what Jesus does when he goes from place to place is he finds the heartbreak that people are experiencing, the heartbreak of whatever it's like to be demon-possessed, whatever it's like to be crippled and cast out in a society that has not developed the social safety nets that we have and accessibility that we have. And so what Jesus does is he takes these people whose entire life is nothing but the disappointment of feeling like an outcast, and he heals them, he cleanses them, and restores to these people a place of belonging, To go back to that tapestry and the thread image, what he does is he takes the pieces of the tapestry that were torn apart and starts sewing them back together. This is the compassion of Jesus. This is how Jesus responds to heartbreak. And in these next few verses, we're going to see, again, we're in a a little bit of a window, and I'm doing my New Testament nerd thing, a kind of milk and a passage, all right? But we're going to see something that is a window into the main thing that Jesus does to respond to our heartbreak when expectations have failed us, when we are feeling cast about, drifting, wandering like sheep without a shepherd. Whether that sense of wandering is caused by grief or a sense of malaise and disappointment, a sense of broken expectations, something in between. Let's take a look at Matthew 9:37 to 38. Then Jesus said to his disciples, "The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few; therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest." Okay, now look. What's going on here? Cuz you might look at that and be like, "Um, Jesus isn't actually doing very much. He didn't actually do anything. He just gave a prayer request." It, is that it? Well, yes and no. Because see, what's going on is this moment where Jesus says, let's pray for the Lord to bring laborers to the harvest. What he's talking about is, is he's talking about the fact that he has gone around healing and cleansing people and he's realizing there's too much hurt out there for him to handle it on his own. He needs other people to be spreading the kind of healing that God can give the kind of healing that comes from hearing the good news that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that God's Messiah is nearby, and God is doing the thing that will begin to restore all of creation. Jesus can't do this ministry entirely on his own. What he wants to do is he wants to commission people. And this moment where he says, pray for the Lord to bring laborers into the harvest, this is the moment where Jesus is stepping up as shepherd and guiding people to meet others in their heartbreak. Because what happens in Matthew chapter 10 is we have the moment where the 12 disciples are all gathered together. And what Jesus does is he teaches them, this is the basics of how you do ministry. And So what's happening, what Jesus is alluding to when he says, pray for the Lord to bring laborers into the harvest. This, this is the first moment where in the gospel of Matthew, in the New Testament, where Christian ministry is carried out, not just by Jesus or John the Baptist, but is actually carried out by Christians. And so you could argue that this moment is the beginning of the church, This is the moment where Jesus steps up as shepherd. With our last few minutes together, I wanna share with all of you three ways that Jesus stepping up as shepherd meets us in our heartbreak. The first of these ways that Jesus stepping up as shepherd meets us in our heartbreak is this. Jesus doesn't leave you to be alone. In fact, you could argue that with this moment where an army of healing laborers are sent into a field of hurt so big, it's like a field at harvest time, this moment is also the moment that we experience when we walk into the church today because across the world, 2,000 millennia later, the laborers are still active And they're still working in the harvest. Jesus has bent history for you to call people and to send people and friends and laborers and ministers to meet you so that when the grief and when the heartbreak hits, you do not have to face it alone So Jesus steps up as shepherd by raising an army of healers. So you do not have to experience your heartbreak alone. The second thing is that Jesus also steps up as shepherd for the people who are laborers. The second way that Jesus stepping up as shepherd addresses us in our heartbreak is he gives us a commission that helps us find meaning in our lives when tragedy and grief and heartbreak has taken our sense of meaning out from under us. In uh, 1938, a couple of professors at Harvard started a study of what it is that makes people happy. That study is still going on to this day, and there's, you know, the children and grandchildren of the original respondents are learning, or, or are sending in responses to survey questions, tracking their overall sense of happiness and satisfaction in life. And the number one predictor of a happy and meaningful life, it's, you know, it's not things like uh, giving up drinking and smoking that does, by and large, help. It's not those kinds of healthy habit things. It's not those internally focused things. It's having an outward focus mindset. It's about looking away from the pain within and looking towards other people to try to meet them where they are. I think there's a lot of meaning and satisfaction to be found in that because, I mean, truth is, meaning isn't something that we can create in ourselves. I mean, you ask any creative the moment when they knew that their art, their music, their visual artistry, their sculpting, their painting was meaningful, it's when other people started to respond to it. And so by turning us outward, Jesus meets us in our heartbreak and in fact gives us the opportunity to use our heartbreak to be wounded healers. I think of that moment after after we had miscarried when I called up my mom and she parented me for the last time. And one of the things that she drew on in that moment was the fact that she herself had miscarried a child before I came along. She knew the nameless, faceless grief. And her moment of service to me was something that helped create meaning of that grief. It didn't solve the problem, but it at least helped make it meaningful and it helped create connection. And it helped her be a part of meeting me where I was when I had need. Now, there are a lot of ways that <clears throat> the people could not be alone, that people can find outwardly focused meaning. But what about the part that's specific to Jesus? And that brings me to the third thing that Jesus offers us as a shepherd in our moments of heartbreak. And that is the fact that Jesus is the shepherd who is also a lamb. Jesus knew what it was like to experience heartbreak. He knew, he knows what it's like when the crowds that had entered, that had seen him enter Jerusalem on Palm Sunday were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, throwing out the palm fronds and welcoming in the new Messiah. When those same crowds a week later turn to jeer at Jesus and say, oh, if you are the son of God, save yourself. Jesus knows that heartbreak. He knows the heartbreak of one of his closest friends betraying him for like an okay sum of money. He knows the heartbreak of an even closer friend denying knowing him. And he knows the heartbreak that had him cry out in that moment on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that moment where that beautiful Trinitarian dynamic where the son and the father were inseparably together and one was ruptured as part of the process it took for us to then be in the presence of that holy God. Have you experienced that? Have friends let you down? Have you looked at something in your life that made you think, God, where are you? Jesus has experienced that too. And because he is the shepherd who is also the lamb, he sets before us a path of redemptive suffering. Because his death led to resurrection. It led to the first fruits of the new creation and the restoration of all things. Jesus sets for us a logic where brokenness can be the first step to healing. If the broken body of Jesus can heal the cosmos by reconciling sinful people to God, then the heartbreak you and I experience has a chance of meaning something, has a chance of serving some kind of redemptive purpose as God stitches it together in renewal. As Christians, we live cruciform lives modeled after the death and resurrection of Jesus, which means we will experience heartbreak. And if none of the heartbreaks I have talked about today resonate with you, I promise there will come a day when something will. Because that is what what it is like to live between fall and restoration, to have all of creation groaning for redemption. We will experience heartbreak. But the promise we have from having a shepherd who is also a lamb is that we will not experience meaningless heartbreak. I'll go ahead and pray for us. God, I pray that you would help us to see the ways in which your shepherding care is stepping up into our lives. That you would remind us that fundamentally we are not alone, that our suffering can be turned around to serve some kind of purpose that you do not leave us languishing like sheep without a shepherd, but you spread out a path for us where suffering can have real meaning. Amen. We come to the time in our service where we remember the broken body of Jesus, where we remember that Jesus' heartbreak and brokenness is actually also the core of our story on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, saying to his remaining disciples, this is my body broken for you. So together, let's take and eat of it. He also took the wine and said, This is the cup of the covenant of my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink of it in remembrance of me. And when we eat the bread and drink the wine, we remember the central mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. We all could stand together to worship the living God, And if there's a heartbreak that you could use prayer for in the moment, we'll have our prayer team off on the side of the sanctuary.